Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Eastridge Church South Campus Podcast, where we take the message portion of our Sunday services and we put them in a convenient podcast form for you to listen to anytime, anywhere. This message here is going to kick off our three-week series called Aftershocks. You know, we go through traumatic and painful events, and we think we're good once we've gotten through those events, but we don't realize that some other things crept in as a result, the aftershocks to those events. Things like depression, substance abuse, um, anger, spiritually drifting, those things can set in. And like I said, we may not even realize it. So in this three-week series, we're going to dive into those. We're going to give you some tools to help you overcome those aftershocks. All right, guys, let's go. We started a new series today called Aftershocks, and Aftershock is an event, it's an after effect of a distressing or traumatic event. That's an aftershock. An aftershock is is an after effect of a distressing or traumatic event. That's what it is. And and there's aftershocks that happen all the time, and and some of them um, are, are devastating. Some of them, you know, are are bad. Some of them are just inconveniences. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to run through the gamut here. I told you that it hurt my Achilles and, and I haven't, you know, haven't been able to do what I want to do. Well, hurting the Achilles was the trauma to my body. The aftershock was having to go to the doctor, wearing a boot, and paying for it, and not being able to do what I want to do and eating more than I want to eat because I can't, you know what I mean, I have no self-control. And so you have these aftershocks. Well, we've all got aftershocks. We've got aftershocks in our lives. As a matter of fact, we celebrated 9-11 yesterday. 9-11 was the event, but for years we've been dealing with the aftershock of that. Loss of life, destruction, terrorism. As a matter of fact, I want to stop right now. I just want to do a moment of silence for those affected by 9-11, for those who lost lives. And so I'd ask you to join me just for a moment to remember. Thank you. We're dealing with aftershocks right now. Hurricane Ida. The, the event was the hurricane. The aftershock is the loss of life, the loss of power, the inconvenience of things, uh, destruction of property. And so you see this pattern. Well, what happened in 2020 was COVID. And COVID, it, we, honestly, when, when we wrote this uh, series, because we write our series in advance, when we wrote this series, we thought that COVID was over. We did. We wrote it, and I don't remember in June, there were like 300 cases a day in this state. It was, it was dying down, going down, 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 but now it's back up. And so we're still dealing with COVID. And I look, let's just put all politics aside here, okay? We're still dealing with COVID, but when it first came out, 
know if you remember that the, the event was COVID. The aftershock was how it affected our lives. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through what's happened since COVID hit. Alcohol use is up 55%. Pornography is up 37%. Depression is three times greater than it was before COVID hit. Suicides are up, excuse me, suicides were up 600% during the height of COVID. One every six hours, somebody commits suicide. It's up 20%, suicide's up 20% in our military and our veterans since COVID. Anxiety is up. In Gen Xs who are 1997 to 2012, they're considered to be the most anxious people. In millennials, it's up. They're, 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 from 1981 to 1996, they're considered to, to be experiencing extreme anxiety. And in Gen Xers from 1965 to 1980, anxiety is up in them as well. These, these are coming out in poor health, depression, anxiety, alcohol, smoking. All this is affecting people because of what happened with COVID. Isolation, we've seen the isolation, that people are more isolated than ever, and it's killing them. We're wanting to save ourselves from getting the virus. And again, this is not an attack on anybody's personal choices. But we found that isolation is killing us just as much as the virus may have been. And so this series is about, what do we do about this? What do we do? What are we going to do? If we have these things, if we have these tra traumatic events in our lives... And we all have them. I've just listed some of big events, but we've all got some traumatic events in our lives. What do you do with that? What do you do because the event happens and then you deal with the messiness of the aftershock? And sometimes the aftershock is months, sometimes it's years, sometimes it's a lifetime because we've never done anything about it. We just kind of let it go. And so we're starting this series, it's a mental health series emotional health series, super excited about it. And the first step you have to do is this. We have to admit that we are powerless over our addictions and the compulsive behaviors and our lives have become unmanageable. And everybody is there in some way, shape, or form at some point in their life. We have to admit that we are powerless over our addictions and our compulsive behaviors and our lives have become unmanageable. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever eaten anything bad for you? Come on, you know, come on. Give me some, give me some love here. Y'all look at me, yeah. Bad for you, anything bad for you? Have you ever sat down and you're going to eat something bad for you and you, you thought, well, I'm just going to eat just a little bit? You ever do that? I'm just going to eat just a little bit. And before you know it, man, you've eaten a whole bag. You ever done that? Like, you're like, I ate the whole thing. And I, you're wondering how it happened. And, and it, is there any more... Uh, powerless moment than that. You know what I mean? You're just like, <laughs> something happened. Maybe you're stressed. I don't know what it is. I know I talk about food a lot. Especially you talk about food all the time. I do. It's a part of our life that I love. <laughs> but we all have moments in our life where, man, we're just, we're powerless. I want to do the right thing. I can't do it. I don't do it. 
We have great intentions. We wake up. I, you may leave church and go, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. You ever had that thought? I'm not doing it anymore. I heard that sermon today. I'm not doing that anymore. You, you can't even get to Monday. You know what I'm saying? Can you? I mean, I'm there too. Look, I am. Whatever it is. Can't even get to Monday. We admit they're powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors. And our lives have become unmanageable. Apostle Paul said this. He said, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Isn't that the story of our life? I want to do what's good. I do. I want to do it like I'm a pastor. I don't always get it right, but I want to get it right. I do. I want to get it right. I want to get it right as a dad, a husband, a pastor, just, just a human being. I want to get it right. But sometimes we just don't get it right. We are, have moments where we're powerless. We have seasons where we're powerless. And we have to, the first thing we have to do, we have to admit this. Jesus said this. He said, happy are those who know they're spiritually poor. That you just come to this recognition, this admittance, but you know what? I don't have it all together. I've got issues. That that's always the first step. But here's the problem. We all live with some form of denial. Denial's easier. In a lot of ways. You just kind of, ah, it's not me. As a matter of fact, I heard a story of a guy. says if somebody calls you, a, calls you a, a horse's rear end the first time, you, you ignore it. Ah, no, I'm not. They call you a second time, you might consider it. They call you a horse's rear end a third time, you, you need to put a saddle on and ride it, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Because that's who you are. But we all live with some form of denial that we just don't believe that. We have areas in our life where we just simply are denying the truth. We're denying the facts about us, about who we are, about our inability to control, to manage. And sometimes denial... Seems easy. Sometimes denial seems like, well, that's the answer. Because we just push away our problems. But I'm going to walk you through an acrostic using the word denial and just walk through how it affects your life. The first thing it does, denial always has a cost. It always has a cost. It always has a cost. And the cost is your health. The cost is your sanity. The cost is your marriage. The cost is your being a parent. The cost is your job. The cost is your following Jesus. That it always has a cost. As a matter of fact, I was listening to, uh, um, I was actually reading this story of, of the, the comedian John Mulaney, or Mulaney, whatever way you want to pronounce it, where he talked about they had an intervention because he was hooked on drugs. They had an intervention. All his friends, he walked through the door, said, he said, as soon as he walked in the door, he said, he knew, he said, this is intervention. Intervention. And they were talking to him about, hey, we love you, we care about you. And you know what he kept saying? I'm sober. 
I'm sober. I'm sober. Kept telling him, I'm sober, but I'm sober. Just total denial of what's going on. And he said all the while he was telling him he was sober, he would say, I need to go use the bathroom. He'd go into the bathroom, do more drugs, and then come out and say, I'm sober, I'm sober, I'm sober. And how he'd put his life back together by simply coming to the realization that I need help through the help of his friends. And so let's walk through what denial does to us. The first is this. Denial always has a cause. First thing it does, it disables our feelings. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this. I'm going to rush through a couple of them. Um, but the first is it disables our feelings. Now, we all have emotions that God gives us. Like anger is an emotion. Sadness is an emotion. There's nothing wrong with any, any emotion. As a matter of fact, Jesus, we read in the Scriptures, Jesus got angry. He got angry. But He didn't sin. Well, what happens with us is that when we are in denial that something's wrong, we disable our feelings. Because here's what happens. Like, and you've, you've heard me tell you this. I have anger issues. I do. I have anger issues. Uh, I've worked on them. Uh, but the truth is there's moments where they can flare up at least when I least want them to or when they need to or whatever. But God's working on me and those times become less and less because, as I follow Jesus Christ. But let's just say you got angry. Anybody ever get angry? You don't have to raise your hand. It's church. You don't have to, okay? You get, ever get angry and you don't do anything about it and you just stuff it? Maybe somebody pulls out in front of you or maybe, maybe it's a, a deeper anger where somebody has intentionally hurt you. And what you do is you deny it. You deny that, that nah, it's no big deal. Nah, it's no big deal. I just need to get over it. And, and it, there are times where they aren't big deal, but there are times where they are a big deal. Well, what happens when you live in denial like that the emotion of anger may be gone. Like you don't live with that day in, day out, most of the time. But the feelings associated with that event that made you angry, they can live on forever. And what happens is, because you never dealt with your anger, you live with the feeling of resentment. Anybody there? Somebody hurt you? You're angry. You just stuffed it, tried to deny you weren't hurt. See, denial always has a cost. It disables our feelings. The second thing is denial is energy lost. It's energy lost. I want you to hear, them, hear me on this. Because we spend our time denying. All the time we spend our time denying and hiding and trying to act like nothing's going on. And we do this really good at church. You hear me say this? People say, how you doing? Blessed. Great. We're doing great. We're great, man. We've got a perfect marriage right here. And my kids are doing great. We're doing because we don't we don't want to tell everybody, man, my world's falling apart. As a matter of fact, sometimes I'll be honest, sometimes y'all ask me how I'm doing. I don't even know how to respond sometimes. Because sometimes I'm not doing good and I don't know how much I could really share that with you. This is all transparency. Because nobody's doing good all the time, are they? But the more you spend time trying to hide what's going on in your life, it's lost energy that you could be using for toward helping fix what is going on in your life. So it's just simply energy loss. And then here's the last thing, is that it negates growth. That it negates growth. It literally gets you stuck. When you live in denial, you are stuck where you're at. They say you're only as sick as your secrets. And you live in denial, you are stuck wherever you are. If you've got an anger issue, if you've got a porn issue, if you've got a marriage issue, the more you deny it, the longer you will stay stuck. It negates any growth. You can't go any further. You can't. You are simply stuck where you're at. Look at the scripture here. They, 
promised freedom. Peter's talking here. I'm making a comparison. He's talking about these things, anything other than going with the truth. Promises freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. That if you live in denial, you're being controlled by something, you're not dealing with it, then you are simply stuck. You are a slave to it. What disables our feelings and energy is lost and negates our growth. But it goes deeper. I, today's message, I, w- I would love to tell you, it goes deeper. Because before we can get to a solution, we have to tell you the problem. I, it isolates us from God. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they did is they hid from God. And some of us have been hiding from the day we were born. We hide from Him. As a matter of fact, Adam even played the blame game. You know, that God comes up and says, what have you done? He said, well, that woman you gave me blames God and her. You know what I'm saying? I didn't do anything. You gave her to me. What are you, what are you thinking, God? And we go there and we want to run. And we're going to isolate ourselves from God. Look at the Scripture right here. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you that God is light and there's no darkness in Him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and we are not living in the truth. And John's writing and he's saying, hey, listen, you can live in such a way where you're in major denial here. But you're just going to isolate yourself from anything that has to do with God. Because things that have to do with God are open. We're called to, to confess our sins to one another, to be truthful with one another. I'm going to talk about it in a second. To be open about what's going on in our life, to find people we can trust. Because we think that the answer is, I'll just be in denial. Nobody will know. Nobody will know. And listen, you'll stay stuck. You'll isolate yourselves from everything that is good around you, everything that you need. And we do this all the time. When we were portable, When we were a portable campus. There were some Sundays where it was so cold outside that the locks would be frozen. The key may go in it or it may not. It had rained and it was frozen, the locks were frozen. And we would have to go into the school at Alcove High School and we'd have to heat up a cup of water and pour on it so we could get the trailers open so we could have church. When you live in denial, you keep things frozen. You just keep them frozen. There's no opening anything up. When you live in this isolation that I'm not going to tell anybody anything that's going on in my life, I'm just going to keep my secrets to myself. I'm telling you, that seems like the answer. And in our culture in the United States, it seems so much like the answer because we're self made, self reliant, and everything like that. But it's not biblical. I'm trying to tell you that the first step is to admit that you need help.
And then isolation alienates us from our relationships. Hiding, avoidance, no one knows, I'm getting away with it. Let me ask you a question, are you really? Are you living in a vacuum that you really are getting away with stuff that no one really knows? I'd be shocked if those who know you best would not know. And so we live alone, we live as a facade, we live an illusion, we live in delusion. We live in isolation, no real friends, because we don't want to be confronted with truth. We live in an avoidance mode. Now, avoidance mode is, is not terrible in some aspects, only a small aspect. Now, I'm going to confess to you, and you're going to judge me, okay? And that's okay, because I, I like it. I like to be judged by people. <laughs> Every now and then, if I'm at Walmart... And I'm in a super big hurry. And I see one of you at the other side of the store. I may not say hey to you. <laughs> I'm just being like, do you ever, does anybody else, you ever do that? Because yes. <laughs> sometimes you don't. Like I try to, sometimes, like I live this tension that God's ordained moments in, for me to meet people. You know, you're, you're really like God's, but I have this tension. And so sometimes I might go, or I might just wave, hey, you know, I've done that. And I, it's always, I'd rather just not, because I, if I don't, if I kind of just give you a little bit of token time, it just seems worse. Does that make sense? Yes. Hey, I gotta go. We, we gotta run. You, 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 we're all doing that, aren't we? I gotta, we gotta. The truth is, we at that moment really may not have time to get locked in with anybody. That may be the only time that it's okay. Maybe. <laughs> the truth is, listen to me. Most of us are masters of avoidance. The things that are real, that are serious. We're masters of living this illusion. Man, I've got it together. We're masters of delusion. And the person we deceive the most is ourselves. And denial just alienates us from other people because we live with this delusion that it's going to be okay. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we're all parts of the same body. We're all part of the same body. When your hands hurt, it doesn't tell the rest of your body, hey, I'm not hurting. I'm not hurting. It's hurting. When something's going on with your foot, you got your Achilles messed up, it doesn't tell the rest of the body, I'm okay, I'm okay, it's okay. It doesn't do that. Because it's part of the same body. The body knows what's going on. Denial keeps us alienated from the help that we need. And then here's the last one. It lengthens the pain. Denial lengthens the pain. It makes it worse. 
You're not getting better. You're getting worse. I want to ask Sean Gove to come on the stage. He's going to share his story of what God's been doing in his life. And I ask you guys to welcome Sean warmly as he shares his testimony. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Pretty good? Yeah? Today's a rough day for me. So, you know, I told most of you today I'm a little nervous and I got a lot going on, but I love you and I'm here to share what God has done in my life. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm a grateful believer and recovering addict who struggles with anger and codependency. Hey, Sean. Hey, family. Um, before recovery, the insanity, insanity of my life could be described in two words, self-sabotage. I grew up in a divorced home. My father was an alcoholic and my mother was a codependent, but neither one of my parents had a relationship with Christ. In middle school, I started using drugs and alcohol. Um, before I turned 18, I committed several felonies. I got my girlfriend pregnant, and I dropped out of high school. Um, we got married and had another child. I violated probation. I went to jail and came home to divorce papers. I spiraled out of control, and I continued my addiction and abandoned my children. Full of guilt and shame, I ran. I moved to another state and started over. The insanity continued for another 10 years. From 2017 to, 2007 to 2017, I went to rehab, I went to prison, I overdosed three times, I got a DUI, and I abandoned a third child. I committed several more crimes, and I ruined every relationship that I had. I was a hopeless addict. In 2018, uh, I met my wife Haley. I moved from Florida to Georgia, she got pregnant, and we married in June. Brody was born in July, and my life was falling to pieces. I was living the addict life. Sick of failing at every, sick and failing at everything, I finally hit bottom at 2019 on September 29th. I was done. I couldn't do it alone, so I decided to give Celebrate Recovery a chance. The first three months was tough. I had spent 20 years in addiction, so getting over the hill was impossible to do alone, but I was so thankful for my CR family the support and love that was shown, I had never found anywhere else. I felt like I fit in, and as crazy as it seems, but being in a room full of broken people who are transparent about their issues gave me more comfort and confidence that I would beat this disease. Principle one verse says, happy are those who are spiritually poor. I was both spiritually poor and becoming unhappy. The longer I hung around, the more my relationship with Christ grew. I wanted to change, and I learned that only God could do it for me. In February of 2020, I began my first step study. I was in a growth group that I uncovered the secret to hope and life change. Principle 3 says, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Happy are the meek, Matthew 5, 5. I try to practice this principle every day, but I'm not always successful, but my goal is to consistently make progress. There are so many victories in my life through my recovery, and on September 29th, I will have two years clean and sober. My relationship with my wife has grown so much in maturity and love, and we both seek God's will and purpose for our lives. There's no one else I'd rather do this thing called life with 
than her. Our children are being led by our example, and it shows in their attitudes and behaviors. We're both truly grateful for the progress that they've made. My relationships are intimate and genuine, and I truly care. I listen, I pray, and I encourage, enjoy spending time with my CR and church family. Another thing that I'm grateful for is overcoming dreadful character defects like laziness, maliciousness, vindictiveness, profanity, being manipulative, selfishness, and fits of rage. Now, I still struggle, but I do surrender daily to God's change project, prog progress and keep looking ahead. These last 23 months have been challenging, but the effort is worth the reward. My relationship with Christ has grown by leaps and bounds. My prayer life is consistent, my dependence on Him is greater, and my obedience is displayed in my desire to serve. For years I thought I was unqualified, hopeless, without purpose, but as I've continued my recovery, God has opened many doors. At CR, I serve in a leadership capacity, facilitating a small group. I also co-lead a men's growth group, and on Sundays I greet and have fun hanging out with the kids in E-Town. I love the memories that have come at the heels of serving. It overflows my heart with gratitude that is unmatched to any other except the love that Christ has showed me. When I was at my lowest, defeated and ashamed, God wrapped his arms around me and I accepted and he accepted me for all that I was. His grace, his love and mercy poured out over me and covered my sins. His forgiveness was all that I needed and for two decades I ran away. So for the non-believer in the room, it's not too late. You're not too far gone. You're just one decision away from making the biggest investment of your life. So please commit your life to Christ today and accept Jesus into your heart and begin a new journey. And always remember, you're not alone. You matter and the possibilities are endless. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for sharing. That's bold, man. I appreciate it. You can live in denial. Or you can make this decision that you're going to change. And that you're going to admit that your life is unmanageable. There it is. My life's unmanageable. You see that? <laughs> Over our addiction and compulsive behaviors. And maybe today that's what you need to do. That you need Jesus Christ. Stop living in denial and start living and admit it. I need Christ. I'm going to share something with you. If you could make it on your own, you would have already done it. Listen to me. Amen. You would have already done it. You need Jesus Christ. I need Jesus Christ. And so, I'm going to lead into a prayer time and then we're going to close with a serenity prayer. And... Maybe today you need to accept Christ. You don't have to come forward today. Sometimes we say come forward or everything like that, but I'm just going to lead in a prayer, but I ask you to close your eyes for a second. 
I didn't plan this. But after hearing Sean talk, I, I just, I feel led to this. If you just close your eyes for a second, Father, we come to you. But we've heard stories of how you've changed lives from Allie, from Ruby, from Sean. That you're the answer. And so, Lord, with our eyes closed, our heads bowed, is there anybody here today that you need to receive Jesus Christ? You've never done it. If you just raise your hand so I could pray for you, I'd love to pray for you. Anybody? Do you need Christ? Is there anybody here today that your life is unmanageable and you're admitting that today? I'd love to pray for you right now. Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Father, I thank you for the hands that are raised. And Lord, mine's raised because mine's unmanageable. The only thing that's held me together my whole life is you. So Lord, we lift our hands to you saying we need you. I need you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for checking out the Eastridge Church South Campus Podcast. I hope there was something of benefit to you in this message. And like I said at the beginning, if anything, it just makes you aware to be on the lookout for things that can creep in as a result to these traumatic events, these aftershocks. I want to highlight a ministry real quick that we have here at Eastridge called Celebrate Recovery. If you're dealing with any of these things you heard in this message, depression, substance abuse, sexual addiction, Um, anger, codependency, really anything that's keeping you from being the person that God's created you to be. There's awesome tools at Celebrate Recovery. You can check those out at eastridge.church. And if you're listening to this message and you're not um, a member of this church or you're not in the Newton County, Georgia area, please reach out to us anyway so we can help you find a Celebrate Recovery ministry near you. You can reach out to us by filling out a connect card at eastridge.church slash connect card. That really is the easiest way and the best way to get connected with us at Eastridge Church. All right, guys, thanks again. And also remember, this is a three-week series, so make sure you check out all the messages. Okay, guys, take care.